Hello, mamas. We are Allison, Kelsey, and Melissa, and we would like to welcome you to the Unstressed Mama podcast, the podcast that will teach you how to manage the daily stress that comes from being a mom. Nothing is off limits here. From peeing your pants to balancing your budget to working out, we'll talk about it. Today we have with us a special guest, Erica Threet, who is a child sleep expert. Kelsey and I met Erica in our online coaching club for workouts that we were in several years ago. And so we have known her virtually for four or five years now. We invited her here because getting our kids to sleep plays a major role in how much stress is in our lives as moms. From sleep deprivation to tantrums and other behavior issues, sleep seems to be at the root of it all. So we're hoping that Erica can give us some tips today to help us tackle this huge issue with our children. Welcome, Erica. Ah, Thanks, ladies. I'm happy to be here with you guys. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Just to get us started off here, how did you get into this field of being a child sleep expert? (laughs) Ah, great question. I get asked that a lot. So I have two boys and they are four and seven. And when my first was born, I read everything I could get my hands on. I figured it out. I was like, my baby's going to sleep because I know how important sleep is for myself um, and for my kids as well. So I basically self-educated myself and I learned all I could about baby sleep. And my oldest was a really good sleeper from the very, very beginning. And then three years later, here comes my second and in true you know, mom style here, the second is never like the first. And so I had to do a little bit more thinking. I had to do a little bit more digging and figuring out and problem solving. And it just like strengthened my passion for pediatric sleep and baby sleep. And then I kind of became like the go-to person for, for my friends and families. Like if they had questions, they would ask me, you know, what to do. So I started giving advice. And then I happen to come across the company that I work for, which is Sleepwise Consulting. And I interviewed with them for a job. I was like, hey, this might be something that's kind of fun. Like I might as well get paid for a passion of mine and help other families. And I started with them um, three years ago and I became certified as a pediatric sleep consultant through them. And I started working with families. I am at about um, almost at about 200 families that I've worked with um, so far in my journey through this. And it's it's great to give families the gift of rest. That's awesome. Um, So in your 200 families that you've worked with, do you see a lot of common themes or is it always a unique, different situation? Well, every family, every baby is different and they all bring their own different set of challenges and unique little personalities to the mix. And, but the biggest thing that it comes down to is regardless of the age, whether it's a newborn or a seven or eight-year-old, like an infant, it doesn't matter, a toddler, it comes down to their ability to have independent sleep skills, which means a baby can put themselves or a child can put themselves to sleep a hundred percent on their own. When a child, a baby, a toddler can do that, that's when they're able to sleep through the night. I haven't thought about that, that those two skills correlating with one another, but my three kids all have very, like you're saying, all have very different sleep patterns. It's been a very different sleep journey with all three of them, but my best, easiest sleep 
situation with my kids was my third. And it was, we did work on that skill very first with her, not very first, but like a lot sooner than we did with my other boys that she could put herself to sleep just, just about anywhere we go. Obviously, like if there's stuff to play with, that doesn't work so well for her. And she's old enough that like the pack and play isn't a good situation for her anymore, but she's not quite old enough to like sleep in a bed when we go traveling, but like at home, I lay her down and she'll put herself to sleep. And she has slept through the night since we put her in her own room. That's awesome. She was almost one. And so it's, I, I never put those two, like two and two together with like being able to go to sleep and sleeping through the night. My boys have always struggled with both of those two things and they still struggle with it at four and six. And so that's, I would never have considered those as being that related. Yes. And the, the quote unquote problem, I don't like to say problem, but what happens is, is if our babies or our children, if they are dependent on something external to go to sleep, so rocking, feeding, a pacifier, holding, rubbing their back um, with our toddlers, it's usually sitting in the room with them, laying in bed with them. If they are reliant on that something external to fall asleep. What happens is, is in the middle of the night, when they naturally wake up, they need that same thing to put themselves back to sleep in the middle of the night. Like they can't, if they're feeding to sleep at bedtime, when they wake up in the middle of the night, they can't go back to sleep without feeding to sleep. So that's where a lot of times families will say like, oh my gosh, my baby's up eating four or five times in the middle of the night. It's not because they're hungry. It's because they just need that little bit of comfort in order to go back to sleep. Same thing with our toddlers. We fall asleep in their bed with them. And then they wake up in the middle of the night. They look around. They're like, oh, mom's not here. I fell asleep with mom in the bed with me. And then what happens? They get up and they come find mom and you have to come back in here and lay in the room with them until they fall asleep. And that this cycle continues and continues. So when they can do it by themselves at bedtime, they can do it in the middle of the night. So if you have... I'll just jump in with a question. If you have a toddler, so like my, my four and six year old, they don't, you don't have to be in bed with them. And I, maybe it's not even for sleep purposes, but I, a lot of times will stay in their room. And in my mind, it's actually to keep them from playing. Cause if I like leave, they, I hear I'm like running around their room for like hours. So a lot of times I'm just staying there long enough that they will stay in bed. Cause as soon as they close their eyes, they, they go to sleep and I, I actually like sit by the door. So I'm not even close to their bed, but if you've got somebody who does like lay down with their toddler every night or is giving some of that external support, is there, I know it varies from kid to kid and family to family, but is there like a good way to start transitioning away from that to kind of help support those sleep patterns so that they can start sleeping better on their own? Yeah. Um, with our toddlers specifically, because toddlers look completely different than infants, as we all know, as parents, but with our toddlers, it's all about understanding toddler development and how they thrive on consistency, routine, and structure. So when we are working with our toddlers, when I work with a toddler family specifically, we really focus on those expectations that are around bedtime. So laying out some bedtime rules, such as we stay in our bed, we're quiet, we stay in our bed all night, and we stay in our bed until our clock turns green in the morning. So having these four rules for them and really being firm and consistent with the way that you respond when your child doesn't adhere to those rules. So finding those that consistent boundary, finding that consistent structure and routine around the situation, and then that consistent reinforcement and the way that you respond to it is how you can kind of start to implement and help your toddler learn how to sleep by themselves. The other thing is like you can just start gradually kind of pulling yourself out of the room. Um, and responding in the same way every time. 
So you said clock turns green. Are you talking about those like okay to wake type clocks? Yeah. And a a toddler clock is one of my best little secrets for toddlers. Um, So an okay to wait clock, the hatch is a great one. A lot of families will have the hatch for infants, but you can use it um, with your toddlers as well. Like even the Kindle Echo, like the kid one, those are all great because what you do is you set the time that it's okay for your child to get up in the morning and then it turns green at that time. And then your little one knows like, okay, it's time to get up and start my day. That helps with those early morning wakings that happen with toddlers a lot. Do you recommend keeping the time the same? So like if you're going to start this routine with a, a, a toddler, even on the weekends when you don't have to, so like for our house during the school year, we have to leave the house by 7.30, which means we have to be getting toddlers up around 7 or 6.45, depending on the day. Do you recommend maintaining that time on the weekends as well? Or is it okay to kind of switch back and forth between like a weekend schedule and a weekday schedule? And then I know Allison this kind of leads into your summer question as well. Yeah, we definitely want to stick to as close to the same time as possible. Um, The reason is, is what happens is is we're setting our little one's circadian rhythm. So their body naturally wakes at the same time. Like think about yourself. Like it doesn't matter if it's the weekend or you're on vacation or a weekday, like you still kind of wake within like the same 30 minute window. And that's what we're trying to do with our, with our kiddos. We're just setting their natural circadian rhythm. So maybe you want to let them sleep 30 minutes longer in the morning. That's okay. But what you're going to find is that once you're consistent with that start time, let's just say their clock turns green every morning at 630, it's going to be hard to get them to have their clock turn green at 730 and stay asleep. Like their body is just used to that. So sticking to as close as that time as possible, you can have like 30 minute flexibility on either side of that wake time to kind of help with that. But realistically, you want to stick to the same time. You're you're kind of setting them up to be more successful if you keep the time the same, right? Yes. Is there there a really, does the the time that you, sorry, I have like a lot of questions. My kids are early morning wake up kids. And part of it is because my garage is my gym and their bedroom Mm -hmm. is right above. And so I know sometimes they hear me come down if I wake up early in the morning and I don't mind if they want to, cause they come down and work out with me. So it's not, it's not bad, but I also don't love that they wake up at five o'clock in the morning. Sometimes that seems too early in my opinion for a six-year-old. Is there like a general recommendation of times you try to recommend getting your kids into, I know it changes from schedule to schedule, but is there kind of general wake time that is better for kids that are younger? Their natural circadian rhythm is going to tell them between six and like 8am is kind of that sweet spot for them. So this question really, and truly the answer is it depends. You kind of have to look at, you have to kind of work backwards. So think about how much sleep your child needs. Every baby is different. Some kiddos need more sleep. Some kiddos need less sleep just based on biologically. So once you figure out, okay, my toddler needs 13 hours of sleep in a 24 hour period, or my, you know, seven-year-old needs 11 hours of sleep in a 24 hour period, kind of go from like what time they're waking up. And then you, you go backwards to find that bedtime. So making sure that you set them up for success with their bedtime to get to that wake time that you want. The other thing is that you have to look for, and this is a big, a big little tip for you is you want to make morning time really boring. 
So we want to give the clock power, but we also want to make morning time really, really boring. Um, So no TV first thing in the morning, like no snuggles first thing in the morning, no like special treats or muffins or milk or things like that. And the reason you want to keep morning time really boring is because we don't want to give our toddlers something exciting to look forward to when they wake up first thing in the morning. So Kelsey, in your situation, like your little ones come down and they get to come hang out with you at five o'clock in the morning and work out. That's something exciting. So in their minds, they wake up, they look at the clock, their clock's not green, but do I want to go back to sleep or do I want to go hang out with mom? Well, hanging out with mom is much more exciting than going back to sleep. So of course they're going to continue to wake up and go hang out with mom. I see this a lot with like the TV. We wake up in the morning, parents will like teach their toddler to go turn on Mickey Mouse. Well, yes, great. Gives mom like some more time to lay in bed, drink her coffee alone, but it's just, it's something exciting. And instead of going back to sleep at five o'clock in the morning, they're going to go down to watch Mickey Mouse. My son, Danny was always a very early riser but he was also a really good sleeper. So when he was a baby, he would go to sleep from sometime between 6.30 and 6.45. And he put himself, you know, I did a routine with him, but then I went and put him in his crib awake and he would go to sleep. People would just be amazed when they came over because I would walk him around and tell everybody good night and then go lay him in his crib and he'd be out. But he would be up at five or five 30 in the morning, but I was okay with that because I had to be to work at seven 30 at that time. Then I got to see him in the morning for a while and I was up anyway, but then that has transitioned into his whole life. He's an early riser, although he has now moved to six, but I stick to, you know, he has to be in bed by eight 30. And typically by the time he gets in bed now, he is out within five minutes no issue, you know, no worries about that. But the thing that I keep running into and a question I had for you in the summer, I do let him stay up a little bit later than I normally would nine or sometimes nine 30. If we're in the middle, you know, if we're watching a movie or something like that at his age, he's eight. Now, a lot of his friends are allowed to stay up as late as they want to. And I wondered what your take is on that with bedtime seeing lax in the summer, you know, how far in advance do you need to get back to your regular routine before school starts? And how do you get them to go to sleep when it's still bright outside? Because here it's light right now until nine o'clock. Oh yes. The struggle, the struggle. I'm, I feel you. My seven-year-old Jackson, he, we put him to bed about seven 30 and he just sits there and looks out the window and watches the other kids play. And he's like, why do I have to go to sleep? I don't have to go to bed at seven 30. It's still light out. Even my four-year-old is like, um, it's still light out. Yes. You can definitely have some flexibility. It's absolutely okay to have flexibility in the summer. I always say like 80, 20, 80% of the time, try to stick to your normal routines, try to stick to your normal schedule. 20% of the time, have some flexibility with our older kiddos. They can absolutely handle staying up later. Um, it's okay with our little ones it causes more problems like that overtiredness creeps in and we see some of those bigger behaviors with them. If an infant is overtired, they're going to scream. They're going to have a hard time settling when our toddlers are overtired. They're going to throw tantrums. They're going to get clumsy with our older kids. 
we don't really see that as much. So yeah, we can have that flexibility and we can kind of push it later. The thing to kind of watch for. So to answer your three questions, the things to kind of watch for is make sure that they, that with your older children, that they're still getting enough sleep. Like we're looking between like nine and 12 hours of total sleep in a 24 hour period. So their sleep needs are low, but just because they stay up late doesn't mean they're going to sleep in the next morning. So you don't want to have too many nights of being up late because then they're going to get overtired. They're going to have a sleep debt. So what do you do when we do have to put them to bed and that sun's still shining? That's where blackout curtains and blackout shades are going to be your friends, making that room as dark, dark, dark as possible. So that way then they can start to to go to sleep, that darkness promotes sleep. They can start to wind down and, you know, get to bed while that sun's still out. Those blackout curtains are also going to be really beneficial for you when the time changes and the sun starts rising at like five o'clock in the morning. When we see those early risings, having those blackout curtains, those blackout shades will make a big difference for that. And then to answer your question about like, when do you start to transition backwards? Um, I would probably start like three to four weeks before school starts. I would just start slowly, like 30 minute increments, kind of bumping it back every week to start to try to get on that, try to get their bodies reset and get closer to a consistent school schedule. One of my favorite sayings, which is very true here has always been, well, ever since I've had a, a child anyway, a kid who goes to bed early gets up early and the kid who goes to bed late gets up early. And that is absolutely true. 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a whole reason in science behind that, (laughs) but yes. Yeah. Another question that I have for you, which is related to my own child is what about nightmares and fears and things like that? That's a big thing that we deal with now in the night that he doesn't necessarily always want to be in his room by himself. I did recently get walkie talkies um, because he tried to call for me in the night and I didn't hear him. Mm. So now I have a walkie talkie by my bed and so does he. So if he needs me in the night, he can just push the call button, but I passed that. I'm not sure how to help him with those They're not night terrors, but they're actual nightmare issues that he has. Yeah. So nightmares typically are caused by a couple of different things. If our kids are overtired. So going back to kind of that bedtime, can you push the bedtime? Yes. But if we push it too much and they've got too much of a sleep debt and they're overtired, being overtired can actually cause nightmares in our kiddos. This is true with our toddlers, our older children. The other thing to kind of look for as well is, are they drinking any milk in the bedtime routine? At one years old, our babies and our infants, they don't need milk in the bedtime routine anymore. In milk at about 15, 16 months, too close to bedtime can cause middle of the night wakings. And with our two-year-olds and older, it can cause some nightmares, the hormones, the sugars in it. So making sure that your little one is not drinking any kind of milk before bedtime will help with those nightmares as well. And then the other thing is, is that we have to kind of watch it. It's a fine, delicate balance between offering the comfort to make our kiddos feel safe and secure and okay. And that reassurance, and then it becoming a habit. So something that we'll see sometimes with our toddlers is like one time they'll wake up in the middle of the night, or even like with our preschoolers, they'll wake up in the middle of the night. Mommy, I had a bad dream. Well, okay. Mommy goes in, you know, we're scared for them. We want to offer that comfort. Well, then guess what happens the next night? 
they have another bad dream because they know if they have a bad dream, mommy comes in and sits with them. So it's kind of looking at the behavior a little bit and how you respond to it and making sure that the bad dreams are not necessarily related to developing like a behavior to see you in the middle of the night. Another thing to look for too is, and this is a little tip for our younger children, is that having something that's kind of scary on TV around even before bedtime, or even like with reading a book, something that may not seem scary to us as an adult can be scary to our little ones at around age three, their brains and their imagination start to develop. And that's when fears can start to creep in. So like fears of the dark, fears of a monster under our bed, things like that. So be mindful of what you're reading, what they're watching, even though it may not be scary to you, it could be scary to them. And then if your little one is afraid of a monster or something under their bed or the dark or whatever it may be, there's some great books out there that you can read with them and talk to them about those fears. I like that you related it all. Well, not all of it, but related part of it back to behaviors and developing behaviors. Because my day job is working with kids as well. And kids are smart and they're really good at like, I don't want to say manipulating because that sounds has a malicious intent to it, but they're really good at getting what they want through behaviors and creating like patterns. So I like that you pointed that out because I do think that does happen quite a bit with kids in any sort of situation, but especially in sleep situations, because my kids know, and this is something that I've been trying to work on, but my kids know that when my husband is working like a night shift and he's gone at night. If they come into my room and I'm half asleep and I have half a king size bed, they know that they can just climb in the bed and I won't do anything because there's no one else there. So then when dad's home and I try to keep them out of the bed, it's really hard, but they know how they know how to get what they want out of certain situations with their behaviors. And so I love that you tied that back to behaviors and, and habits, especially like our toddlers, our preschoolers. It's, It's all about understanding that you have to understand what their behavior is. Like, what is their ultimate goal? What do they want? And no, toddlers are long on will, short on scale. They are going to push, 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 push. They're going to push those boundaries. They are going to see what they can do to get what they want. And they are born natural manipulators. They are. And it, it, there's no shame in saying that by any means. It's just their developing sense of autonomy. It's how they are. They're trying to figure out the world. They're trying to figure out you know, how the world works and what do I need to do to get what I want? And that's where it kind of all ties back to that consistency, that structure, that repetition. So you were talking about getting a certain amount of sleep within a 24-hour period. I mean, you've mentioned that a couple of times. So when you're talking about toddler preschool age. So I, we're, we're preschool kindergarten with my two older boys and my six-year-old, he'll be seven in November. We still nap on a regular basis at our house for both of them. And every time I tell anybody that they think I'm absolutely crazy, but there's a lot of reasons that I say I continue to push it for both of them because I feel like it's necessary, especially where we do have like early wake-ups at our house. But is there an age that you generally see naps as optional or is it depending on how much nighttime sleep they're getting? Like, how do you kind of assess the nap situation as kids age? Cause obviously we know babies need naps and toddlers continue to nap. But a lot of times some of my friends are like, yeah, we stop naps at two. And I'm like, what? Like we're still napping at six. Like, how do you stop naps at two? So I'm just curious kind of what your thoughts are on naps and when they are appropriate and when you need to kind of start moving away from them. Yeah, no, great question. So once again, this, this answer depends. It's tricky. What I always say is if it's working for you and working for your family, then don't change it. 
if it's causing a problem or there's something going on, then that's when we kind of need to fix it. So if naps are working for you and your family, great. If you don't like the situation, then we can change it. But to get kind of specific and answer your question, what happens at two is that a lot of two-year-olds will start fighting their naps. They're testing their boundaries. Why do I want to go to sleep when I can get to play? So what happens is a lot of times around two, I'm talking like two to two and a half. So in that, you know, first part of being two parents will say, Oh, my kiddo is not taking naps anymore. And they just abandon the naps and throw it away. Really. And truly a two-year-old needs a nap. The earliest I like to see naps dropped is two and a half. So as a two to two and a half year old, you want to stay consistent with it, set those boundaries and those naps will come back. Now, two and a half is when they can start to drop that nap three, they might drop it. What I'm looking for when I work with a family is I'm looking to see what that nap is doing to bedtime sleep. So if they're taking a two hour nap in the middle of the day and we're putting them to bed at like say seven, eight o'clock, and it's taking them an hour to fall asleep, then I know I need to either cut that nap back or we need to start looking at dropping it. If it starts to impact the amount of overnight sleep they're getting, where they're having early morning wakings or things like that, then I know I need to kind of pull that nap back. But if you're okay with your little one taking a two hour nap and then they're falling asleep at night, um, if you're okay with them being awake for 30, 45 minutes in their bed, hanging out, reading, and then falling asleep on their own, then you can leave that nap. If it starts to impact bedtime and overnight, that's when we look at kind of pulling it and dropping it. That's awesome. I like hearing that because I do think, and I think like you're saying with a lot of your answers, it, it does depend on the kid and it de- depends on the family. And I think even within a family from kid to kid, it changes. I know like my six-year-old is actually really easy to get my six-year-old to take a nap. It's my four-year-old. That's a really challenge. And he's actually the one who needs it more. And I can tell with his emotions when he didn't get good sleep that like a nap, like changes him into a totally different kid, which is why we continue to nap. But yeah, it's, it's just good to hear when it's appropriate and when it's okay. Cause I, if my six-year-old would nap, you know, for the next 10 years, every single day in the summer, I'd be totally down with that. I don't yeah. think he will, but I'd be totally down with that. I hear you. Absolutely. And you know, one of the big things when our little ones, two things, when our little ones stop taking naps, one thing is to make sure you're implementing quiet time with them even 20, 30 minutes in their room to kind of sit and hang out and do their own thing and have that downtime is enough to kind of recharge them and get them through bedtime. And the other thing is, is when your preschooler, your two and a half, three, four-year-olds drops that nap, you got to pull bedtime really early. So when Shepard, my little one, when he was dropping his nap on the days that he would take a nap, he would go to bed at 830. On the days he didn't take a nap, he would go to bed at six and he would still wake up at the same seven thirty, eight 8 o'clock time in the morning. And what's happening is he's making up the missed sleep from the daytime. He's making it up overnight. So on the nap days, he may only sleep like 11 hours overnight, where on the non-nap days, he was sleeping 13 hours overnight. So he was still getting the same total amount of sleep in a 24 hour period. It's just where it was going. And a lot of times when our kiddos drop their naps, that's one of the big mistakes I see parents making is they don't pull that bedtime really early. And what happens is then that's when you get those big toddler meltdowns. That's when you get an overtired toddler. That's when it's like, oh my gosh, we can't make it to bedtime. And then they're up multiple times in the middle of the night because they're exhausted and they're overtired. So really, really pull that bedtime back. And as their body adjusts to not taking a nap, then you can start to kind of push it in to get to that reasonable bedtime. I took a lot of heat when Danny was younger. I had him nap until he was five 
And I stopped when it started being a situation where he was awake at 9.30 at night and having issues falling asleep. But I was very rigid about nap time because it saved my sanity as well as making him continue to be a sweet child rather than a not sweet child, shall we say. (laughs) But a lot of people I was around, I made comments to me about, well, I'm not putting my life on hold and not doing anything in the afternoon for four years just so my kid can sleep. And I always thought that was a little nuts, but it turns out that he's a pretty good sleeper. The point of this is I was talking to an adult person last week who said she can't really get up in the day and do things. She's a night owl. And that's how she was raised. Even as a baby, she, there were pictures of her up at 10 30, 11 o'clock at night, hanging out with the family still. And, and it was interesting to me that that stuck through her. She's in her forties. Now her entire life that has set the tone for when she slept and when she was up, which is fine, but it seemed to me like that then made things a little bit more difficult for her with having to go to school at some point in her life and getting up for jobs and things like that. It seems to me like sleep is one of the most important things that you can work on with your kids. And that has been a huge focus of mine. No, you're right, Allison. That's it's huge. Like when we work with our families and I work with our children, we're building those lifelong sleep skills and those lifelong habits. And it's true. Like my sister and I were are horrible adult sleepers. It took me a while to retrain myself, but we used to fall asleep watching TV downstairs on the couch. And my dad used to carry us to bed. And my sister still is a terrible sleeper. Like she has to fall asleep on the couch with the TV. Like I can't even sit on the couch and watch TV at night because I fall asleep. You know, we don't have a TV in our room, but for the longest time I used to have to have that TV on to fall asleep, but I've, I've retrained myself. So yeah, what we do with our kiddos and their sleep from the very beginning really does set them up for lifelong success. So where it's super important that we start off and, and sleep train early. I know like I'm sitting here thinking my six-year-old, we did not start a good sleep training and sleep patterns. Is there a point where I don't want to say it's too late. Cause that sounds terrible, but like, is, can you always affect your child's sleep patterns? Is there a point where it's like, Oh, like crap, where we really need to take uh, um, actions now or steps now to retrain this so that we don't have those lifelong issues later on. It's never too late. It's never too late to start, you know, to teach your child how to sleep. I've got a seven-year-old that I'm getting ready to work with starting next week to kind of work on things. And what I do with older children looks completely different than what I do, you know, with infants and toddlers, but it's just about, it's just about creating the confidence and giving them the skills to know that they can do it by themselves. And that's a big one with our kiddos. A lot of times if they think like, I can't go to sleep unless mom is in the room with me, or I can't go to sleep unless I have that TV on, they're going to continue to need that. So it's just about supporting them, giving them the skills, giving them the confidence to be able to do it so that they can learn to do it by themselves. I think that's always a good thing to hear that it's never too late to make changes to help better the situation. Cause I know like when you go and I wish I had known more about sleep with my, my first and second I think finally by the third time around, I started to 
okay, we got, we got to do something about this, both the first and second, I could have really used a lot of this information of, of, you know, sleep training and working on getting kids to sleep on their own, all that kind of stuff. My first two, it was just, it was a really hard situation. I didn't realize that there was things like sleep consultants. I didn't realize that was even a thing. And it may not have been that big of a thing six years ago. I don't know because I, I just wasn't aware. I don't know how much sleep consulting and sleep training was happening you know, six years ago, but I, I think it would have changed how we got through, you know, those newborn early toddler years. If we had, you know, learned a little bit more about sleep training and sleep patterns and stuff like that with our kids. Yeah. There's so, there's so much information out there. And I I feel like in the last few years, there has been, there's been more exposure to it. And I mean, there's such a wide spectrum on sleep training and what to do, what methods to do, what to use. So many people are like judging, you know, whether or not you should sleep train or not sleep train. And my biggest thing is I always say is if it's working for your family, if what you're doing is working for your family, great, stick with it. If you want to change and it's not working anymore, then I can help you. And that's what I do. Like, I'm, I'm not here to judge families. Like if you want to co-sleep and that's working for you, go ahead and co-sleep. If you're good with sleeping in your toddler's bed and that's what you want to do, go for it. But if you don't want to do that anymore, like I gotcha, I can help you. Toddler beds are not comfortable. No, <laughs> no. I mean, maybe there's people out there who always wanted a princess bed and they didn't get one when they were a kid. So now they have their chance. Yes. <laughs> race, race car beds. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know anything about a princess bed. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Me either. (laughs) One of the things I was thinking of, I browse your Instagram occasionally and love to see the tips. When I, when Danny was a baby, I had a book that was the happiest baby's guide to good sleep. And that's what I based all of my stuff on. And it was interesting because my mom her tips were similar to that. And she never read any books or did anything. She just kind of naturally knew that. And when she came to help me after Danny was first born, he of course was up all night and wanted to sleep all day. And I had no idea what to do about that. And I had had a cesarean and I was all miserable and tired and whatever. And the first thing she did when she showed up like four days after he was born I had him sleeping in his bedroom where it was dark in the daytime. And she said, oh, no, no, he can sleep, but bring him out here and put him on the table in the sunshine and and keep him out here in the bright light and make noise and do whatever you're going to. Don't be quiet, because otherwise he is going to continue thinking that's an okay time to sleep. And and that did work. And it took like 12 weeks before he got turned around. But it's interesting to see. I think just the other day you gave that similar tip to keep them out in the sunshine or something infant newborns in the daytime. So I love seeing the, the common sense things rolled in here and different approaches um, because I know a lot of people are really against cry it out and they resist any kind of sleep training because they think they're going to have to be mean to their kids, but that's not true. There's so many different approaches and things that you can do that are common sense when you find out about them, but you don't necessarily think of that on your own. Right. And that's, that's so true. Like as moms, and I mean, we can all remember seven years ago, nine years ago, when we were first time moms, like we basically do whatever it takes to survive. And we don't 
we don't realize, you know, what we're doing. We're just getting by. We're just surviving. You know, as, as first time moms, like we all just kind of do what we can to get by. And, and and we don't know, we don't understand sometimes, you know, what we're doing and we're just, we're just surviving. And then what we're doing is no longer working for us. But Allison, you, you hit on something that I kind of wanted to address. A big misconception in the sleep training world is that what I do is tell you just to leave your baby to cry it out. So sleep training has, gets a really bad rap because so many people think sleep training equals quiet out. Well, the the truth is, is that the quiet out method is one form of sleep training. And when you do cry it out, you're not looking at the bigger picture. You're basically just putting your baby down. You're not changing anything and you're just letting them cry until they, you know, fall asleep on their own. But what we do as specifically what I do is we look at their routines. We look at their schedules. We look at what they're eating, the timing of their feeds, um, what solids they're eating. We look at how they fall asleep. We look at their environment. We make changes to all of those things. And then we support our babies through that process. Yes, as we're teaching our babies how to go to sleep on their own for the first time, yes, they're going to cry. Crying is how your baby communicates. Like we can't be afraid of hearing our babies cry because that's the only way they know how to communicate with us. So when I'm working with my family on that first night, I always tell them, your baby's going to cry. They're going to be okay. You're going to be there to support them. But just keep in mind, this is their way of saying, uh, hey, mom, dad, um, I don't like this. Why aren't you rocking me to sleep? Why aren't you feeding me to sleep? This is different. This is new. And I don't know how to do it yet. And it's just like if I were to tell you that when you were going to bed, you can't sleep on your side of the bed. You have to sleep on the other side. You can't use your pillow. You have to use a pillow from the couch. You have to put your head where your feet go, your feet where your head go. And you would look at me like I was crazy and you'd probably yell at me and say some not nice things to me, but that's exactly what happens when we put our babies down to sleep in a new way. They're like, "Uh, Hey, what's happening here? I don't understand this. And they let you know, and they let you know by crying. That's a really good analogy. I never really, never really tried to compare that to myself before. So I like that. I had considered going into the sleep expert thing when I started a business too, but I felt like I wouldn't be viewed as much of an expert since I only have one kid and I didn't have to try out my techniques on multiple children. (laughs) But it kind of reminds me in the same way of a lot of the money techniques I teach that if you put the time in up front, then on the back end, it gets easy. Absolutely. Absolutely. I always say like, start as you mean to go, you know, start those habits from, from the beginning, the way that you want them to go in the future. Mm -hmm. Kelsey, do you have any other questions? Otherwise I'm going to get to contact info here. No, I, I think we covered it pretty well. I, I guess my, my last question or thought was when it comes to sleep training, you don't have to make big drastic changes all at once. Right. Because if you're Like you were saying, if you're asking to change all these things at once with an adult, they're going to look at you like you're crazy. So like with the bedtimes, if you have a late bedtime, you don't go from going to bed at 10 o'clock to eight o'clock in one night, you kind of progress your way there. So it's not as big and shocking for the kid. I'm assuming if I'm totally off base with that, you can correct me, but it can be small changes over time. It doesn't have to be this. We're going to overhaul this all in one night and then it's just going to work. It's, it's little changes over time kind of give you the big results in the end. 
I think it depends. Like everything, everything depends. I think if you are doing this on your own at home by yourself, like you're like, okay, I want to work on adjusting the schedule, then yeah, go ahead and do those gradual shifts. But when I work with a family, I just rip the bandaid off and we do it all at once. Like when I work with my infants, let's just say I've got, let's just say I'm starting to work with a four month old who is fed to sleep, has a pacifier and still uses a swaddle. I'm getting rid of all of those sleep props the first night. And we're just going to get rid of them all, rip that bandaid off. And we're going to start from scratch because what happens is I don't want to have to teach this baby how to fall asleep without the pacifier. And then a week later, we're going to have to teach this baby how to fall asleep without the the swaddle. And then a week later, we're going to work on putting the baby down wide awake without feeding to sleep. So it's just easier if we just get rid of them all at once, have one, you know, one hard night of like, oh my gosh, what's going on. And then they get used to it. That makes sense. And I think kids are, kids are pretty resilient when it comes to that kind of stuff too. Like we were saying earlier, kids are super smart. And I think I'm assuming I haven't done sleep training like that with a four month old, but I'm assuming they pick up on it pretty quick. If you start as long as you're, yeah, as long as you're consistent, that consistency, even with, even with our infants, um, even with newborns, like that consistency is what helps them learn how to fall asleep, having the same thing happen every single time they can create that consistent strategy for themselves and know how to put themselves to sleep when you're not consistent in what you do. Like I'm, I'm talking newborns and infants as well. It's confusing to them and they don't know, like, do I get to get rocked this time? Do I get to get picked up this time? Is mom going to feed me? Is she not going to feed me? It's unfair to them and they can't develop that strategy. Makes sense. Well, this has been very helpful. Um, if any of our listeners wanted to get a hold of you or follow you for your tips, where would be the best place for them to find you? Ah, come hang out with me on Instagram. <laughs> That's where you can find me. I am at one rested mama. So O N E R E S T D M A M A. And, um, I just come say hi, say hi in my DMS. Tell me that you found me here and follow along for tips if you have questions. And then if you're curious about what it would be like to work with me, you have questions about your little ones. There's a link in my bio that you can click and you can schedule a free 15 minute call. And we'll talk about, you know, what's going on and how I can help you and how I can support you through this process and teaching your little one, how to get better sleep. And as I've said several times through here, remember if it's working for you, great. If it's not working for you anymore and you want to change it up, I can help you. I can help you make those changes and I can support you through that process. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming. Before we let you go, we have our three guest questions to ask you that we ask everybody. And I'm curious to hear your answers because for the first one, we get the same answer a lot. And that is what is your favorite drink? Oh, my favorite drink is coffee. Okay. I, um, yeah, coffee. I, I actually, from like an alcohol, alcohol standpoint, I don't drink. Um, so I, I typically drink like maybe four things like coffee, iced tea, water, and like sparkling water. Yeah. <laughs> I really, I'm really on like a Topo Chico, like the tangerine kick right now. And the LaCroix, um, limoncello are kind of my, my two go-to drinks, but coffee. Absolutely. That's usually the answer. Yeah. Coffee or water. There we go. Mm -hmm. We don't have, we haven't had any big, big drinker guests on yet, I guess. (laughs) I can do the second question. Um, what, What is the first thing you do in the morning? I get up and I go drink coffee. (laughs) 
Um, I have been trying to sip some water first thing in the morning. Um, I've heard that's really good for you, but really and truly, like I get up before my kids do. I value that time in the morning. It's, it's just part of, it's something that I need every day. So I get up, I go downstairs, I make my coffee and I sit down, I like turn the news on and I scroll Instagram. I know they tell you to stay off of social media, but it's just kind of my time in the morning to just be by myself and mentally get ready for the day. I think that's awesome. I think every mom needs time, some time during the day, whether it's first thing in the morning or last thing at night or during nap times. Absolutely. <laughs> you gotta have something. All the above. <laughs> right. So the last question, since we are the unstressed mama here, what is your favorite activity to de-stress or your go-to activity? So um, my favorite activity to de-stress is probably just going outside and sitting in the sunshine. Um, I love, I love to just sit outside where it's quiet, even if it's for like five to 10 minutes and just let that sunshine, um, hit my face. It's just something really relaxing about it. That's awesome. And you're in Florida, right? So you can, yes. Yeah. Time of the year. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Yep. And we will have your contact info in the show notes also for those who want to follow along or potentially work with Erica. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. Thank you, ladies, so much. All right. Thank you. The Unstressed Mama podcast is brought to you by Allison Rodden, Kelsey Decker, and Melissa Sarovi. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash unstressed mama and on Instagram at unstressed mama. If you like what you heard, be sure to tell your friends so other mamas can join in the fun. You can find our individual contact information in the show notes for this episode. If you have questions about this topic or suggestions for future topics, The best place to reach us is through our Facebook group, Instagram page, or email at unstressedmama at gmail.com.